This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. I'm here today with Carol Sodai, the Chief Financial Officer of PricewaterhouseCoopers. Carol has been on an inspiring career track, precipitated in part by two major events in her life, the diagnosis of Hodgkin's disease when she was 25, and being in New York during the September 11 terrorist attacks. Those two events shaped how she viewed her life and informed her career choices. For instance, after September 11, she left an exceptional career path at PwC for Scotton and then the NBA, but eventually found her way back to PwC. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Deborah. You've often talked about having a sense of urgency in your career because of a pivotal moment at the age of 25 when you were diagnosed with cancer. What did that prognosis make you do professionally and personally that otherwise you wouldn't have done? Well, it's pretty sobering to be told at 25 years old that you have a 50% chance of reaching 30. So um, I think that got me going, <laughs> quite honestly, Deborah, more than anything else. And um, it made me, it really crystallized for me that I needed to focus on what I cared about so that I didn't have any regrets, personally and professionally. Uh, a little thing that I did personally, maybe it, not a little thing, but one example of that is that I was living in New Jersey and I was commuting into the city and it was you know close to an hour and a half each way and I moved into the city to get three hours of every day back because time became very precious to me and I wanted to make the most of it. And so um, similarly, um, from a career perspective, instead of sitting back and looking at my career as something that happened to me, I really felt like I needed to take charge of my career and make sure I was seeking opportunities as opposed to waiting for them to come to see me. So what does that sense of urgency look like in practical terms? Does that mean, for example, that you should just quit your job and join a kibbutz, <laughs> run away with a circus? Uh, no. So I don't think taking risks means being reckless. I actually think it's bad to even call it taking risks. I think you should say it is seizing opportunities. You know, we at PwC, we wrote a book on self-made billionaires, and one of the things that we did was we tracked successful billionaires back and said, what was it about them that made them successful? And one of the things was that entrepreneurs and really successful entrepreneurs saw not taking opportunities to be risk. And in fact, the risk was really in staying still. And so I like to think I have a little bit of that in me. Maybe I'm on a track to become a billionaire. I don't think so, but you know, but I like to think of it as, you know, I see opportunities and I say to myself, and actually it's, it's a phrase that we use a little bit at PwC, which is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And so I try not to be afraid and take opportunities and then mitigate the risks associated with those opportunities. You've said that you came from a very traditional risk-averse family. How were you able to compensate for that upbringing and get out of your comfort zone to climb the corporate ladder? Well, well this event, I mean, I, I hope other people can do it in a different way. They don't need to be faced with, you know, a diagnosis of, of, of cancer to, you know, knock themselves out of um, a very conservative place. 
Um, but my, my parents, and um, they raised four kids who all have become very independent and all had very responsible jobs, and they viewed accounting and engineering as important degrees to further people into independence. And so that's the biggest reason I became an accountant. And um, I actually think that that was an important foundation, but having something that really um, accelerated me into realizing that it, a ladder, it, it wasn't enough to just climb a straight corporate ladder. I like to think of it as Sheryl Sandberg always says, it's a jungle gym. And sometimes you need to move left or right to move up ultimately. And all of those experiences, opportunities to do unique things, um, develop unique relationships, which I think is the most important thing, um, allows you to become who you are. And I think you need to encourage yourself to be different, not the same as everybody else. And I think the corporate ladder inference is, is almost like you're getting in line and, and following. I, I think in order to shake things up and actually accelerate your career, Sometimes it's better not to just climb straight up the ladder. Is it necessary for people to be risk takers, or as you call it, opportunity seekers? <laughs> What's wrong with just staying put in the status quo? I think there's a tremendous amount of risk today. So with the rapid changes that are happening in society today, and just think of technology and the rapid advances in technologies, the seismic demographic shifts that are happening all around the globe, the shifts of economic power happening, um, staying in the status quo is a sure way to be extinct, I think. Um, I don't think we all have a choice. In fact, any responsible business person, and I like to think of myself that way, has no choice but to constantly um, question the current business model that they're operating in and say, what is, what is the future of this business? What is, how is technology gonna change what we're doing? Um, and I think that's the prudent and actually responsible path as opposed to maintaining the status quo, which I think is the riskiest move of all. You were living in New York during 9-11, and that was another pivotal moment in your life. Tell us what you learned, what lessons you learned from that, and how that made you decide to leave PwC after 17 years. Well, uh, my diagnosis of Hodgkin's, as you said, was when I was 25. 9-11 happened... 11, 12 years later. Um, complacency, I don't want to say complacency completely set in because I don't think it did, but it certainly was another wake-up call about life being too short um, in a different way. Um, and to be honest, uh, it wasn't just a personal wake-up call. I lived a few blocks from, from ground zero. Um, I was displaced during, um, during the days thereafter and lived in pretty difficult conditions downtown for six months afterwards. But more importantly, the entire US economy and the financial economy in New York City was very disruptive. And I was working with clients that uh, saw a lot of their you know, fortunes get uh, destroyed during that period and a lot of opportunities for companies to go public that never made it because of, of, the, of those singular events. So it really reinforced my sense of urgency and my need to feel that um, I needed to keep my eyes open and look to see if there were other opportunities because many of my clients were in a difficult spot and life was hard. And so I wanted to make sure I was open to any potential moves. So really, that's what it did. And that was, that was what made me answer the phone call that 
um, that a headhunter asked me to see if I wanted to have a cup of coffee with somebody at Skadden Arps, and that led to me becoming their chief financial officer shortly after that. So what career advice would you, would you give young women today or young men? And is there a difference? Should there be a difference? Well, first of all, I think I would go on record to say there absolutely is a difference. We need to be brave about that. We are different, men and women. And that's a good thing. We should celebrate our differences. Um, I do think, though, that women need one specific piece of advice, which is, you know, again, I, I, I um, bring up a story that Sheryl Sandberg told in Lean In, which is about um, the woman and man who take to look that look at the same job description for an opportunity and the man might have three of the credentials and say I'm going to post for that job and a woman might have nine out of the ten credentials for that job and say I'm not qualified you know women have to stop saying they're sorry and they have to be willing to take a chance and some of that is all of us giving people the confidence that they should take those chances so I think we need to help raise each other up, and that's men and women, by the way. I think men should play a huge role in um, supporting and advocating for women to really break some of those societal norms that, you know, they're, they're not, we shouldn't be shy about the fact that those are truths, that, you know, women have been raised differently, and so they tend to think differently about their opportunities and qualifications than men. And I, and I think we all need to help try to turn that around, especially for those with the most potential. So in your view, what are the characteristics that make for a great leader at a company? And has that view changed over the years? So I think that there are some real fundamental qualities that are the same tried and true, you know, strong character, integrity, um, uh, but what I do think is that the world has changed fairly dramatically in terms of the size and scope of companies, the global nature of companies, and society's ability to access information on companies and people. And that's done something to um, a particular aspect of leadership qualities, and that is that um, a CEO um, or anybody in senior leadership in a company represents the brand of that company. And so, you know, I, I, I don't want to say, make a judgment call on whether this is good, bad, or otherwise, but it's really important that that person not only be a role model, but can really stand up and be a representative of that brand. And some of that means being present in, in communications, in press, in social media, in a way that you know, a lot of people, it's outside of their comfort zone and wouldn't have been something that many would have thought it would be an important quality. And I think today, it's really important. I think the millennial generation wants to know their leaders and wants to see the authentic person that they are. So I think that CEO or that leader needs to recognize that they need to be comfortable putting their self out to their people. People want to get behind somebody and be inspired by somebody but it, it needs to be real and it needs to be authentic. So that person has to be comfortable putting themselves out there. What's it like to be the CFO of a major accounting consulting firm, a major law firm, and a major sports league? Which was more fun or more challenging? <laughs> you know, each and every one of those roles was challenging in a different way. Skadden, because that's where I made my first jump from being on the 
auditor advisor side to actually being a leader as the CFO at Skadden. And that was a big adjustment, which I'm, I would say in many respects, I would call it my first big challenge. Um, on the other hand, going from Skadden, which was a business and professional services firm, just like PwC, to joining the MBA, very different culture um, in the, in, at the beginning of the co collective bargaining negotiations that transpired the entire time and then uh, were resolved while I was at the MBA. Um, a very different skill set, big challenge, um, uh, much more in the public uh, minds and hearts uh, as, a, as a business and, and, and as, a, as a role. Um, and then joining PwC, which is a $35 billion global network um, of partnerships around the world of PwC um, and becoming the CFO of the US firm was a enormous and complex um, opportunity to take on. So each and every one of them had different, but incredibly um, challenging aspects, but they built on each other. In terms of what was the most fun, um, it's hard for anybody. I, it would be disingenuous to say that some, some of my moments, some of the most incredible moments were obviously at the MBA in terms of pure fun and storytelling. Uh, but the gratification I get um, with developing people at PwC and being able to be impactful in developing an inclusive culture, a flexible work environment, and a place where you know um, we, the leadership team has the opportunity to serve 200,000 people around the world and make their lives different. I mean, that's pretty fun too. What's the best piece of advice you can give other executives about how to manage people and bring out the best in them? I actually think it starts with having a relationship with anybody. Um, because you have to, you, you can't have trust between two people unless you develop a, a, a deep and meaningful relationship. So I think you've got to invest in a relationship so that you have trust so that, candidly, you can give feedback, good, bad, or ugly, to that person, and that person trusts that you have their best interests in mind because you have to be able to give people regular feedback that's genuine and unvarnished to be able to help them develop. And I don't think you can do that without having a trusted relationship built. So I think that's the most critical thing you need to do. So who's your favorite author, and do you have a favorite book? Funny question. Um, I love Gillian Flynn's books. I'll admit um, I'm a bit of a junkie. I hope she comes out with more. Um, but um, mostly, my husband owns a restaurant. And so oftentimes, I end up reading books that relate to hospitality um, or the restaurant business. And I guess I would mention two things. I would say um, every business person should probably read Danny Meyer's book, Setting the Table to learn about hospitality and how they could use it in their everyday life at business, that would be good. Um, but my true personal favorite, which had a huge impact on me personally, is Julia Child's book, My Life in France, because she was from the Midwest, from a meat and potatoes family, and she went to France and learned to eat oysters, and I read that book, learned to eat oysters, and love them to today, and they're my favorite food, so I, always feel like a connection to Julie Childs because of that book. Did you also learn to cook like her? No. 
I don't cook at all. I barely boil water. My husband doesn't really let me in the kitchen. <laughs> well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Deborah. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.